hope in Christ. Um, so appreciated the thought this morning that uh, he'll be seen not only as the coming conqueror, but he'll also be seen as the prevailing one. He has prevailed and will prevail. Um, take your Bibles. Uh, I'd like to uh, go to Matthew chapter 11. And uh, as you're turning there, uh, would give you um, a uh, account that I remember pretty vividly as uh, I was uh, able to go to Israel. And uh, we were near uh, the northern part of the Sea of Galilee. And uh, Galilee, um, the area has a lot of the things that we read about as locations in the Bible are in the Galilee area. Uh, And this will contain three locations of this passage of scripture that we're going to look at. Contains three of those locations. And uh, I have uh, some comments I'd like to make after I read uh, where uh, I'd like to read. So this will seem... um, to make sense, I think, once we get uh, through it and uh, look at verse 20, if you will, with me, please. Matthew eleven twenty. Then he began to rebuke the cities in which most of his mighty works had been done, because they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida! For if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, They would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I say to you, it will be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon in the day of judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, who are exalted to heaven, will be brought down to Hades. If the mighty works were done in you, which had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. But I say to you, that it shall be more tolerable in the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for you. At that time, Jesus answered and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and the prudent and have revealed them to babes. Even so, Father, for it seemed good in your sight. All things have been delivered to me by my Father. And no one knows the Son except the Father, nor does anyone know the Father except the Son and the one to whom the Son wills to reveal him. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. A lot to consider in those passages. And uh, the Lord, uh, as we would look dependent upon him this morning, bless his word to us. The reason that I have mentioned these uh, uh, cities that I visited, Capernaum uh, is not inhabited, hasn't been inhabited uh, probably for almost 1,800 years, approximately. Bethsaida and Chorazin, 
which are two smaller cities. Really, they're towns. We call them cities, but they're really small little hubs of uh, stone um, dwelling places. And uh, they're not very large, but in the day, that was that was considered a happening place. It was where you did business. It was a it was a sort of a regional uh, hub, if I could say that. And one of the things that struck me is that uh, the temple where the Lord Jesus uh, ministered when he was at Capernaum, or the synagogue rather, is still in ruins to this day. They have not rebuilt it. All of the community area that surrounded the synagogue, which is incredible because in our minds we think of, well, uh, Paul, perhaps, they say, had a home there. Uh, some of the other disciples had a home there. And really, that synagogue was the center of that town. All the homes were built around that synagogue. Um, so it just was an interesting concept to, to see with my eye that uh, it was very clear that uh, the central gathering of all of the people in those days was supposed to be around the Lord himself. That was the whole the whole culture of society, at least for the Jews, that was what God intended, and that's how they responded. I'm not saying they did the right thing by building their houses in front of the synagogue. I'm just saying that's what happened. Um, when you get to Chorazin and uh, Bethsaida, um, the uh, area changes, and it's the homes are not built out of limestone. They're built out of lava rock, and it's very dark, extremely dark. And you would say, so what's the significance of that? Not really much, only in the sense that those cities are in ruins to this very day, and they were not inhabited very long after the Lord said, Woe unto you, Chorazin, and woe unto you, Bethsaida. For if the works that I, the mighty works that I did in you were done in Tyre and Sidon, uh, they would have repented long ago. I would also associate the word repent with the word believe. He did not many mighty works there because of their unbelief. In, in, in these two are linked uh, as you get through the Gospels, especially in Mark. Uh, there's a link made between the two, and people have tried to separate that link, and I don't feel that's a healthy thing to do. They're synonymous. They go hand in hand. Uh, believing and repentance in the, in the way that the Word of God and the Spirit of God work are inseparable. Now, there are people who can believe, but it's just intellectual. There's just, it just fills the brain with information. It's not, um, as Hebrews puts it, it's not believing accompanied with faith. So to believe is to take God at his word. It's simple, but yet somehow we've, I say we, mankind has complicated that. We've added a lot of trinkets and gadgets that to us um, 
uh, we've built it up to be quite a bit more uh, than what the Lord was really uh, calling out to think about and to uh, consider. One of the other things that you'll find in this passage of Scripture, and the reason I say this is, is that the Lord came to bring something to all of these individuals. And you know this. If you've read this in context, you'll know that this came upon the question of John the Baptist as he was in prison. Are you really the Messiah or should we look for somebody else? And so he tells those that were sent by John to go back and tell him. And then he addresses those that are standing around and that are curious. I don't know how else to put it. Haven't you ever been in a, in a curious crowd but not identified yourself as one of the crowd? I have. I've been a curious onlooker in many situations without committing myself to whatever it was that was going on. And if I could set that environment here, that's exactly what we have. We have the disciples. We have others who are curious. We have those that are antagonists. We have quite a broad group of people that we don't fully understand that have gathered to, uh, for one reason or another, they're, they're here and they're in the hearing of the words of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he makes this statement. It says he began to rebuke the cities in which most of his mighty works had been done because they did not repent. Now, if I stopped right there and didn't say anything else, <laughs> well, how would you feel? We'd eat early. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. We'd eat early. I'd probably join you. <laughs> but the Spirit of God doesn't want us to stop there. In fact, the Spirit of God takes us upon that statement of the Lord Jesus Christ to interpret this in the proper manner is to, to look at what he says here and to take it from an, a completely different perspective than as humans we tend to take things or dish them out, whichever is the case in your thinking. Now, the reason I say that is because we obviously are going to end up at the end of this particular address, which is so well known by many. Come to me, all you who are... Um, weary and uh, heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Uh, for me, the tendency has been to run over that passage of Scripture because I think I know it so well. <coughs> I uh, have been happily, thankfully, arrested by the Spirit of God to pull over on this side of the road and to spend some more time thinking about this. Rest. Rest. Real rest. So if I were to say to you, as it would be a question each of us would say, what kind of rest do you enjoy right now? Where is your rest? What is it that you are resting in? Rest is vital to the well-being of a child of God. Um, we could say that in the sense of 
understanding what it means to to walk a bit with the Lord, and that sometimes is hard to answer. So I'll just say what it means to understand who he is. A lot of times we don't enjoy that rest. We don't understand what that rest really is. And so in this sense, the Lord goes from rebuking them for the mighty works that he's done in their midst, and they had not repented, As a matter of fact, you're going to see, I am going to see that he places the value of taking him at his word more than moral performance. Shocker! Am I saying he's happy when we're morally impure? Oh no, just the opposite. But we tend to put a premium on performance. And what he is simply doing is is that uh, he makes a very pointed um, statement about including Sodom in here with Bethsaida, Chorazin, and Capernaum. Pretty serious stuff. And the reason that he does this is to show us that lest we would think that that kind of sin is the most detestable sin in the eyes of God, the most detestable sin is to reject the truth that he wants us to embrace about himself. who he is to each of us. Not who he is to somebody sitting next to you here this morning or, man, I hope somebody's listening somewhere because they need this. No, it's us. It's me. It's what am I doing with the word of Christ to me? Am I listening to him? Am I hearing this because, oh, that's a great salvation verse. I wouldn't argue with that. Oh, I know this verse. I've memorized this verse ever since I was a little child. I'm familiar. Yeah, I've heard. I've heard people speak about it. Um, no doubt, we've we've each had some encounter with this statement of, "Come to me, all you who labor and heavy laden, I will give you rest." But preference that with the fact in verse 27, he said, "All things have been delivered to me by my Father." And no one knows the Son except the Father, nor does anyone know the Father except the Son, and the one to whom the Son wills to reveal him. And and in an earlier uh, sense, up in verse 25, he says, I'm glad you've hidden this, in a sense, from those that are wise in this world and are the... uh, Uh, elite intellectuals because they have prided themselves on their own wisdom. They have not been downsized. They have not been willing to be little. And he, he references that with the statement, I thank you, Father, 
Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and the prudent, and you have revealed them to babes. Do you see yourself this morning as a babe? I know, some of you are thinking, now wait a second, you use a terminology here that's... (laughs) No, I'm talking about a little child. I'm talking about the sweetness of what it means to be tender enough and young enough that when you say something to your child, they take you at your word. They take you at your word. And so... All of this has significance. This is, these are not disjointed statements. They all are layers in which the Lord is dealing with the condition of humanity on the inside. And basically what he's doing is he's not, he's not dismissing the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah. But what he is saying is the greater sin is to rest in your idea about what I've said and miss the beauty of what I have really stated is priority. See, we're good about dressing ourselves up. We're good about one, and some of you looking at me, well, you, you know, well, you're sort of, kind of, no, you understand what I mean. We are experts at putting on the external picture of what we want others to think we are. We're, we're, now, and, and, and you forgive me if you're an exception to the rule, but we're all experts at doing that. You forgive me if you're the exception. I'm not talking to you. But for those of us, if the shoe fits, wear it, because it's obvious. We know it. We want people to have a certain image of us. And the Lord says, you want an image that I want nothing to do with. You want an external show. I want you on the inside. I want access here. This is where it really counts. And what he does is that he likens it. Obviously, we've listened a bit this morning to a passage in which the Lord addressed this. We're looking at another passage in which the Lord addressed this. Uh, but you've revealed this to babes. Those that have been willing to be downsized and take God at his word, which is under heavy attack today. And I would have to say this, as you know, as well as I do, and I'm going somewhere with this, and I'm going to get on it here. But the difficulty is, is that we put such a light emphasis on his word. I don't mean that to be accusatory. Please don't take it that way. It's just that somehow we tend to think these are wonderful words written by this tremendous, wonderful individual that walked the planet years ago, and somehow he's historical. He's not present. And what the Lord is saying, I am present, and I want to presently interact with you just like children do with their parents under normal, healthy circumstances. They're dependent, they listen, and they 
expect. Chorazin, Bethsaida, Capernaum are all examples of people that had no time for his word. And he backed it up with what he said were mighty miracles. Have you ever said to the Lord, Lord, would you just do a miracle and I'll believe you? Miracles uh, being performed, um, they're important. And when God orders them, they're, they're timely. But you could see a miracle and turn away. You know, one of the greatest miracles that we'll ever see on this planet is Jesus Christ enthroned on his throne in the physical city of Jerusalem. And people will see him face to face. And turn away. You say, how can that be? No heart. No desire. No willingness to be honest in the inward man. It's a rejection of him. It's an open physical rejection, although still spiritual, of the word. The incarnate, living word of God. You can well understand now why there's such a vicious attack. What you're seeing now in culture, what I'm seeing now in culture, is the very disgust that was in the heart of Satan when he said, in heaven, uh -uh, I will arise. This is the outcome. No time for God's word. Now, I'm not talking about, okay, I've got to read God's word this morning. Uh, oh man. It is to the simplest and yet the most profound sense in which God calls us to spend time with Him and pay attention to what He is saying. It is not just to read it for the duty of reading it, but to read it with the joy He is going to produce. The rest we need as we spend time with him. And to me, it is just wonderful that he takes all the stuff that you and I would look at and go, whoa, dude, that's heavy. I mean, he just, he just opened up both barrels and went, wow. And we're thinking, problem solved. Move on. No. The Lord is saying to, to, the, to us in this sense that I love you. Now let me tell you what I really like. This Now uh, I want to praise this very carefully. You'll find that you can see the beauty of the Lord as in his word revealed all over the pages of this book. So please don't, don't misunderstand what I'm going to say because he does reveal himself. But there is nowhere in the word of God that I know of a more succinct, self-explanatory description coming from the lips of the Lord Jesus about what he is really like on the inside. To me, this is, this is not inconsistent with his justice. Uh, obviously, it's not inconsistent with the fact that he just pronounced woes. You, you know what a woe is. It's not something you say to a, uh, 
an out-of-control horse that's going to a cliff. Okay? Whoa! You know, you're trying to... Whoa is a deep pronouncement of judgment. It's serious stuff. Very serious stuff. This world is about ready to taste the woe of God. And they're not going to like it. But for years and years and years, the heart of mankind, in by and large, has said to God, no. Okay? So, here's, here's the beauty of why this is so critical, because... These are things that the Lord Jesus Christ bears in mind. He stops in the middle of this address and he openly addresses his father and he says, I'm thanking you that you didn't reveal this to everyone. And I believe there's a a sphere of mercy in that statement. That's just my personal opinion and I'll state it as such and I want it to be understood as such. There's obviously much more meaning here in this statement. But the thrust of what I want to really spend our time on is the fact that the Lord stopped and acknowledged the greatness of who his father is and the work that his father is doing. And now this central point in which the Lord Jesus really is going to open up about what he's really like on the inside. It is actually profound. It should help us understand a bit more about his goodness and his grace and his intent for us, even in light of life going awry. Because as you look at this, you look, it says, come to me, all you who are labor and and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And I, I won't go into the detail of it, but this is, this is the, this is the challenge of that we face in all of life as we're, not really in sync with what he's seeking to bring us to. We're struggling against it. Or we have issues that bother us, whether they're our own personal issues or issues of others. The Lord is 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 giving us a statement about the need that we have to come to him in light of all of the heavinesses that we we are going through. And he says, I will give you rest. Pardon my moving in a little closer. I'm hoping that by a little physical gesticulation, this can become something that is at least memorable for good. The Lord did not say, I'm going to take away the hardships. I am going to give you the ability to have rest, even if the hardship there comes a time in your journey when you begin to realize you know what we're on a sinking ship this whole planet and and it's hard to to say that to young hearts that are well I haven't had a chance yet I want to (laughs) right 
better part of wisdom is to not lose heart. But not the world's way. It's to not lose heart the Lord's way. To be able to know he's going to sustain you. It's his grace that will sustain you. He will give you stability and rest in the storm. It's not easy. But he will anchor you and moor you with the confidence. This is not a waste of time. And so as he offers this rest, I mean, I want rest. I don't know about you guys. I want rest, real rest, godly rest, beautiful rest. But I have to be careful that I don't manufacture the rest that I think it should be. I need to let the Lord teach me what his rest is all about. And let him bring that rest. And sometimes there's things we have to unlearn so that we can get to the rest that he's talking about. And he's already set up one of the major preambles that get in the way. And that's our idea of what we think looks good. And the Lord is saying, real rest, real progress, real moving forward is not necessarily external. It's internal. And it's not self-reformation. It's not self-improvement. It's not doing to obtain. It is letting go as a child and understanding I can't affect much. I mean, when you're a parent, and those of you that are not, if the Lord allows you to have children, you'll understand this. But really, children, even though they may scream and kick and cry, go, ah! they really know they're not in control. <laughs> they're just protesting, okay? They're protesting. And what the Lord is saying is my rest will bring you to a point where you don't protest your situation anymore. My rest will keep you in the midst of the storm that we call life right now. As they, we are no different in one sense. We're looking for that wonderful plane of ah, blessing. Right? Aren't you? I mean, honestly, don't you want to get back to the garden? I don't know. That seemed like kind of a scary place. (laughs) Kind of like where I live. No, I mean getting back to the point where That communication between the living God and your soul is so real that uh, the Lord would say, uh, where are you? As as he knows, but it is obviously a call to our own hearts. We exited. And we see what happens when we exit. Now, the point I want to 
emphasize as we close is simply this. He uses some beautiful language that is obviously um, figures of speech, but he's using them in a way to drive home critical, really non-negotiable issues for his people. So he says, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Now this is the irony. <laughs> the irony is this. Who wants to be yoked with a heavy load? And hang on, don't, don't get lost here. But who wants to have some heavy load laid on their shoulder and you walk around like this all the time? Well, life sometimes feels that way, at least in our observation, and sometimes it is exactly that. But what the Lord is saying, you're under the wrong yoke. I want you to come under my yoke. You know what a yoke was? For those of you that maybe are not familiar, and I'm just doing this, I hope, I think everybody understands it, but yoke were used to team, plow, cattle, or horses uh, to get them in, in sync together and to pull a load so that something profitable could get done. But a yoke can be heavy, and a yoke can imply a lot of labor. And what the Lord is saying, take my yoke, that's the irony. In other words, he's expressing a biblical reality concerning himself by using language that is normally signifies the opposite. Who wants to be yoked? None of us. We think freedom. And the Lord is saying, you want my yoke. Why? My yoke is easy and my yoke is light. Some of us are saying right now in our heart, no, it's not. It's very heavy. This word and Here's where he begins to open up. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. Learn of me. Not your idea about me. Learn of me. And, and hear things that he cannot be other than what he has expressed. I am gentle. And lowly in heart. What he's doing is, you want to know what my heart is like? The nerve center of who I am? You want to really understand who I am? Yes, I can bring judgment instantly. That's not my heart. But don't count me as a wimp. <laughs> Look at me as the I am that I am. But know that the I am that I am. Is gentle. That word is exactly as it should be rendered. Gentle. Not quick to strike. Um, the word is also associated with to forbear long. That means to put up with long. In other words, 
this is what he is saying. If you learn anything about me, you learn that I, I am gentle. You learn of me that I'm lowly in heart. This is not one of these. And I, I'm doing this on purpose because sometimes we think of lowly in heart. We have different pictures in our mind of how this is to be understood. This is my impression of being lowly. Although, in one sense, uh, there's nothing wrong with fearing the Lord, which, by the way, just by a little bit of understanding, fearing the Lord is godliness. That's the definition of godliness, is the fear of the Lord. And it's not the to the point where you're debilitated is to understand he's the awesome almighty God. But he's the God that loves me. He loves me. Me. He's not giving up on me. And as the word lowly should be properly understood, it means that he is comfortable being with people that don't think very highly of themselves. He enjoys being with people that are like, I don't know about you, but if he sat there and I was here, it wouldn't matter the distance between the chair. I just know he'd know everything about me. And in my hesitancy, I would be a little scared to go over and sit down and be seated next to him and say, He's looking right into my soul. He knows me. And I would get up and he'd put his arm on my, my shoulder and gently say, No, you I want you right here. That is lowly. Now listen. You know the term heart is not just emotion. He's talking about the central nerve center of our being. He said, learn of me. My heart is gentle and lowly. That wonderful. That wonderful. And he knows everything about you that you have forgotten about yourself. <coughs> Every now and then, I'll have a memory. Oh, I'm overdue. Okay. Oh, I do. Oh, for wonderful minutes. <laughs> Somebody asked me, are you going to speak for two hours today? Maybe an hour? And I said, I sure hope not. One morning early, I woke up and I had a dream. And that dream precipitated a memory of something that I had totally forgotten as a kid. And I thought to myself, the Lord knew about that. 
He knows me inside and out, forwards and backwards. And he says, come to me. Come. This is where we learn the secret of rest. He knows the dirtiest of the dirties. It's been dealt with. The thing that beams out from him is you come. Come. I'm going to leave you with some things in two minutes. I will be happy to make a copy if you'd like. It's a mess of a scribble. But his beauty teaches us some lessons about his grace that are so needed today. Number one, his grace teaches us not to hope to be better. Some of you look at me like, come on. Yeah. The hoping is to do it to such a point that it's to fail to see yourself as in Christ. You're in him. You say, but I do things. I have thoughts. Yeah. Yeah. But he constantly is teaching us that grace does not share the glory with human ability. Think about that. Now, am I sitting here saying it's okay to go out and live any old way you want to? No, I'm not saying that at all. Am I saying that we can sin because God is so gracious? We know that Paul pretty clear about that. God forbid. But where it really, where it really is important for us to understand, grace doesn't help. It's absolute and it does all. Or we're not saved. We don't have a prayer. It's funny. We seem to. I mean we say we seem. The work of God is to get us off of ourselves. When it's time to do business with him. With respect to salvation. Why is it we revert back to the very thing that is counterintuitive to the grace of God. The grace of God does not give a person looseness morally. Ah. The grace of God endears oneself to a gracious king. Because he gives that grace where sin abounds. Grace does much more abound. Grace will bring Tears of repentance where the law and self-lather and self-flagellation or whatever you want to call it. I didn't pronounce that right, but you understand what I'm trying to say. Okay? That's point one. Some of you say, let's, let's, let's put 2 Corinthians 12, 
7 through 10. I'm just going to say, jot that down if, if this is something that you'd like to look into a little bit more. Number two. <clears throat> Grace does not look for competence in self or personal strength. Paul said this, and bear in mind now, according to the grace of God. Paul could back brag about an awful lot. Could he not? Could he not brag justly? I have, I've stood the test. We, the other half of this verse is not up here. Of whom I am chief. The older you get, <laughs> the more you find out, wow, what a great salvation has been given to me. You see, he's calling us to his grace. Grace is not a cop-out for doing what God wants us to do. Grace is the enabler to do it. Grace is being able to understand I've fallen flat on my face. The Lord is saying, get up. Come on, get up. You put all your confidence in your self-ability. No. You put your confidence in me. Look to me. Get up. I am not thinking about you the way you are thinking about yourself. That's called unbelief. It needs to be nailed for what it is. If our sins are gone and we are blessed with all spiritual blessings in the heavenly places and we are accepted in Christ, it's unbelief on a daily basis that challenges God's commitment to us. Is it not? I'm not excusing wild, reckless behavior. Please understand that. Grace does not give us a license to go and do what we wish. Grace is an incredible care from the heart of God that gives us a hunger and a longing and a want to, even in light of current failures. It's a hunger to move forward. It's a confidence that even though I seek to move forward, I still fall, and it's not because the grace of God has failed me, and it's not because God has changed his mind about me and all of a sudden discovered I'm not a trophy of his saving grace, but rather I have undone in my mind, based on my performance, the standing and the hope and the beauty in which God views me, or he wouldn't dare make this promise. Take my yoke of me and learn of me, for I am gentle and lowly of heart. Here's the kicker. For my yoke is easy. My burden is light. We, we, we quote that. We will say this back and forth in, in our hearts. Um, I'll go with the obvious, the burden is light. What he is saying is my, low, my, my yoke is light. It's not a burdensome thing if you understand what I'm doing. 
not removing the difficulties. I'm giving you the capacity by grace to take it in that you're okay. No, we all agree our disobedience, our inconsistencies, our failures, whatever it is that we may esteem of ourselves as such trash, the Lord says, we know about that. Do understand that if I haven't covered that and paid for it, then you're still in your sins. Grace will lead us through. Grace will teach us to get away from our emotional apprehension in the flesh and rest like little children in the confidence of what he is saying, and that produces the emotion of rest, not the other way around. I love this statement. We don't have any standing before God and ourselves to think that we do. We are proud and blind. Our standing is something he's given us. We learn by grace to respond to that work. To be disappointed in yourself is to have believed in yourself. I'm not saying that we don't get disappointed with our achievement level sometimes. But we can't stay there and beat ourselves over that. We have to say there's got to be something else that pulls me out of this mess. And the only thing I know of that pulls me out of my mess is the grace of God. That produces loyalty in me. He would stick with me when he knows what's going on in, in my heart. He says, John, you don't understand. You've been made accepted in the beloved. You're resting on what you're not doing. You're not resting on what I've done for you and what I am doing for you. You're worried about the here and now and I am too, but you're making the fatal mistake of looking here and you're not resting in what is true of you. Even though you, Paul did it, he, he closed his life out saying, I'm the chief. I don't think he was playing a game. I don't think he was using poetry. I don't think he was just being self-condescending. So, yeah, I know I need ooh. Where did those four minutes go? Well, I can tell you, they went to about 20, well, the way you're going, probably another hour, so I'm going to. Okay, we're going to eat right here. Oh, okay. All right, here we go. I'm going to close up. Some of you are going, are you going to listen or what are you going to do? I'm going to close. But, oh, this is the sweet part to me. For my yoke is easy. That word easy is not the word easy that you and I think of because we, we know the opposite easy. Okay? The Lord is saying, my yoke is a yoke of kindness. You say, oh, I don't believe it. Okay? Go to Romans chapter 2. And then we will close. Romans chapter 2. Verse 4. Or do you take lightly 
with a sense of disdain the riches of his goodness, forbearance. If forbearance wasn't enough, he's going to heap on top of that long suffering. And if that's not enough, knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance. There's grace. And that word goodness is the word that's translated for easy in Matthew eleven thirty. Kindness. One more and then I'm done. I think where where is oh yeah. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, evil speaking be put away from you with all malice and be easy to one another. Not slack. Be kind. My kindness. Take what you are receiving from me and give it. The reason we don't give kindness sometimes is that we're not drinking it in ourselves. We're not resting in his kindness. We're not saturated with his goodness towards us. So, God faithfully gives us loudmouth preachers. I don't know if it's his faithfulness, but loudmouth speakers um, who knows where? Hopefully, he to the word. He's got even this. He's got this. And he wants us to rest. I got this. Lord, I have to just say I marvel at the fact that you put up with somebody like me. I don't know how you do it. Honestly, and I just say that with all the straightforwardness of being honest with you as I possibly can. I don't know how you do it. But I know it's a waste of time to figure out, try to figure that out. You've just stated that you've made a promise, come to me, and I will give you rest. Lord, I think it's a problem that I don't esteem Highly enough your work at the cross. I don't esteem highly enough how well accepted that work was done by and received by your Father. How dare I, Lord, not value what you have accepted? How could I be that way? But Lord, thank you that your grace knows that battle in us. And that our tendency is to do the outward and neglect the inward. And so thankful that you're the God of the inward being. You know us. You are God to us in our inner man. And thank you that you have, you have traversed the ugliness of what we are outside of you into your prevailing 
to your satisfying God, your dear Father, offering yourself up to Him. You have brought all that look to you up out of it. And so, Father, we pray that we will hear those words. All you who are weary and heavy laden, come to me. I might give you rest. I think if you figure it out correctly, you'll maybe get a little taste. Or uh, I'm, I'm going to wait. Father, I thank you that I need to hear. I will give you rest. Help us to rest on your word as little children. We ask in Jesus' name. I always say I always. I mean, I'm going to go 15 minutes. The Lord gives rest. <laughs>